Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business, and all of our business, to really keep track of what's going on in the media, to make sure we are getting the best information, and more importantly, know how to navigate the information uh, in a manner that's responsible and, and not merely looking for uh, ideas or, or content that uh, endorses our views and, and really challenge ourselves. And that's how this whole series began with Dr. David Dozer. He is uh, a, a, a professor emeritus from uh, at University of no Cal State San Diego. Is that right? or San Diego State? You got those. You got some that are Cal State, and you got some that are San Diego. Yeah, yeah. Your San Diego State, which by the way of the Cal State system, is the most beautiful campus I've seen, and I've seen most of them. And uh, uh, really enjoy your work, uh, professor there in uh, the media in the journalism uh, space. And always enjoy our conversations. And although we come from a different position when it comes to ideology, we really do believe in the importance of free speech. And you brought up a very interesting topic that I've been looking forward to uh, for us to discuss. And uh, before we get into it, you know, just take a moment to talk about your publishing, uh, your phenomenal book, and uh, which is a really important one uh, for the reader. Um, talk about that and how people can learn more about that. And welcome. Oh, thank you for having me on the program once again, Kevin. Uh, my book is called The California Killing Field, and it uh, takes a kind of a, a deep, hard look at the uh, death penalty in California and how uh, uh, attitudes towards the death penalty have evolved, but uh, it's certainly a contested space. And much of the content deals with the ways in which politicians are able to manipulate media content in order to have a particular narrative favored, uh, and that's exactly what happens in uh, in, in the novel, California Killing Field. Uh, and you can find uh, more information about me and it at www.daviddozierbooks.com. And David Dozier Books is spelled uh, the last name D-O-Z-I-E-R. There you go. Make sure you check it out. Very good book. Uh, always enjoy my conversations with you. Very interesting topic today. It, it one's, it's actually one that kind of gives me hope uh, for journalism. Why don't you go ahead and set the stage for us? Yeah, glad to. Uh, and it was spurred by a, a story on the front page of the Los Angeles Times. Uh, I, when I say front page, I actually get the paper version of the L.A. Times. And it was a story about um, some of the scandals at uh, the University of Southern California, which has a, a long history of one scandal after another. This one involved the uh, head of, uh, of, of health, uh, uh, a doctor, uh, having uh, party drug parties with uh, students and using dangerous drugs, uh, methamphetamine, for example, and one, stu one of the participants died uh, of an overdose, and USC in typical style tried to cover up. What was important about it, though, was that there were two editors at the LA Times, for reasons best known to them, decided that they wanted to kind of keep that all hush-hush as well. And so two investigative reporters for the LA Times um, actually went out and 
did their reporting uh, without the permission of these editors. They were doing basically a clandestine investigative piece uh, and looking for an opportunity to get it published. And so anyhow, the the thing that's um, uh, valuable about it is that the LA Times did a front page story. Uh, You know, this is what we did. Uh, Those two editors are no longer with us. And uh, you have, as our readers, you have a right to know that in this particular place, the LA Times did not perform uh, uh, as uh, you know watchdog for uh, for uh, ordinary citizens, and it didn't do a good job of holding USC accountable for uh, some of their shenanigans. And so it was a very interesting um, uh, mea culpa from the newspaper. And I think, as a you know former journalist, and 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 Kevin, I suspect you may agree with me that when we as journalists hold other institutions to standards of transparency and accountability so should the news media uh and you know who else is going to do it uh you've got to take that that investigative uh eyeball and point it inward take a look at what's uh, uh what's going on with your uh, organization and how that contributes to 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 good and not so good journalism yeah yeah and this isn't that uncommon uh, you know, that is that, you know, shady, shady uh, journalism taking place like this. Didn't the Washington Post have a writer get a pure, pure surprise for uh, a writer that, uh, for a story about a person that was purely fictional, but of course it was treated as though it was nonfiction? This is a long ago story. But man, it shook the, the world of journalism. As well it should, because we as journalists hold other organizations uh, and other institutions accountable. We expect them to be transparent. We expect them to operate in an ethical fashion. And if you're going to expect other people to behave like that, then, you know, uh, the old golden rule, uh, you should do it to yourself. You should be transparent about your own internal operations and and hold yourself accountable f- for uh, journalism that doesn't meet the standards uh, that uh, uh, that these uh, publications purport to uh, uh, adhere to. Yeah, absolutely. So, talk about this. What do you What do you think? How do you see this unfolding? Um, you know, I, I got I read the story. I liked the story. I was really heartened by the story. Uh, I kind of wish they would have gone into more depth of, of uh, you know, the mechanics behind it and how things came to the top, but there are, of course, limits. But what was your thoughts about the story itself uh, on, uh, you know, basically falling on the sword, and in this case, appropriately? Well, I think that uh, it's like, like most things, if you want to have consistent and ongoing coverage of a particular uh, issue or topic area, you make it somebody's responsibility. You make it a regular beat. And it wouldn't necessarily be limited to your publication. I think you hold all of the media in your market, uh, you know, your competitors um, uh, accountable to those same standards. But you have uh, journalists, uh, depending on the size of the publication, it might be one person doing this part of other responsibilities. But the idea that your job is to make sure that we're doing a good job as a newspaper, a TV station, or a radio station, as a provider of news, and have we done a good job? And if we haven't, let's talk about it. And there's an interesting thing that comes with that. I think when people see you willing to basically air your dirty laundry in public, um, I think that actually is going to enhance the uh, credibility of the publication. Uh, You take, as a publication, you take your responsibilities 
so seriously that you're even willing to, you know, um, uh, report some negative things about your own publication or your own organization uh, in the spirit of we want to do a better job. And when we don't do a good job, we need to hold ourselves accountable because let's be honest, who else is going to do it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I totally concur that any, any publication, really there's a certain amount of humility in that, and there's honesty in that, and there's certainly shunning hypocrisy because they're all, all publications claim to be in the account of accountability business. Uh, how can they be good at that business if they're not holding themselves accountable? And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I, think, uh, I think there should be more in the space. Do you know if there any publications have beat reporters like this? I mean, there are obviously media beats. I know that from people I've interviewed from the Washington Post and from the, from the New York Times and other publications. But, you know, where, where the focus is on accuracy, and, and, and not just accuracy, but uh, making sure best practices are happening across the board. I'm not really familiar with that. I don't know of any instance where it is routinized as a regular beat. Now, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, some of your listeners uh, will uh, correct us on that. Um, I haven't done an exhaustive study, but it just happens so rarely, and it pops up when it does, is that, Leads me to believe that it's not much. It's not happening much because we see these kinds of stories um, so infrequently. I, uh, in my uh, uh, earlier communication with you, Kevin, I mentioned that uh, in 2004, the New York Times basically did a mea culpa on their coverage of uh, the run-up to the invasion of Iraq, where they said, "Yeah, we mostly." took our information from the Pentagon and we weren't very critical and uh, uh, and but you know that okay so 2004 2022 uh, you know what happened in between I'm sure there are some instances but oh, oh, uh, by the way my story the story I mentioned earlier was 1981 yeah. right <laughs> see we're not getting a There's lot of and, you know, as, as journalists, we could say, well, it's just because we do such a good job that there's hardly any need for this. But um, if we're being honest, we know that that's not true. There are lots of instances where uh, organizations' first response is, well, let's just not tell anybody. Uh, I you know, worked for a university for 37 years where they really like to do that, uh, you know, first response. Well, let's just make sure the public, you know, we, let's make sure this doesn't get out in the media. Well, yeah, if, shouldn't get out of the media it shouldn't have happened and uh, uh and that kind of transparency is what the media demands of all other institutions and organizations and they should demand it of themselves and that would be good yes. for in journalism that would be very good in journalism talk to me a little bit about um you know uh in fact i'm, I'm certainly trying to think about the only thing that's close to this are academic institutions that try to monitor this type of thing. Uh, right. But even that is only part of a larger uh, journalism, uh, you know, focus. And nonprofit uh, organizations, so-called think tanks, maybe like, uh, um, you know, there's, there's some on the left and some on the right. And that's part of the problem, right? The ones on the left that really only keep an eye on the ones on the right, and the ones on the right only keep an eye on the ones on the left, which undermines the overall credibility of those efforts. Right. And when we start talking about think tanks and academics, uh, one of the difficulties, and I, I'm guilty of this as anybody else, is 
you're rewarded for talking to other academics. And so it's just kind of this little circle of people using, you know, highly specialized jargon to talk to each other. And it's not terribly accessible. So, yes, there are uh, organizations that uh, 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 monitor journalistic performance and look at not just in the U.S., but globally. Uh, but But they talk to themselves. And uh, I think what has to happen is a dialogue with, you know, your readers and your viewers and your listeners. That's who has a right to know this stuff. And they should be able to get it the same place they get the, uh, the news that they typically follow. So if I, uh, you know, read the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal, um, uh, and they basically come out with a story that says, you know what, we screwed up. We really screwed up on this, and here's how it happened, and here are the details, and here's what we're going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. When I read that, I go, that is a quality publication, or that's a quality news organization, because they're applying the same standards of transparency and accountability to themselves that they apply to other organizations and institutions. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for many years, I was part of the uh, the tribal hard right for many, many years. And I used to mock uh, the New York Times because, you know, let's face it, you don't go more than two or three days without a correction in the New York Times. And, and you know, you know, it just doesn't happen. You know, and I used to mock mock them for their inaccuracy. You know, but over time, what a, what a, you know, and of course, the the scandalous story is on page one. The correction is much further back. Yeah, I get all that, but you know what? Who else is monitoring themselves on a regular basis, making those corrections? I mean, that yeah. that to me is a sign of integrity. That's a sign of commitment to uh, best practices. And so, you know, I've had to I've had to repent publicly often for that criticism. I'd love to see that happen because let's face it, we're all human. And that includes these institutions being made up of humans, which means that mistakes and poor judgments are kind of ubiquitous. Yeah, well, I think that the the key, the key thing here is that um, we're, you're in a fishbowl if you're working in media, in news media, and as a result, um, you just need to to be transparent and accountable. Um, you can't, you know, it's rank hypocrisy to say, oh, USC, you know, you have, and you know, you have doctors partying with uh, uh, drug addicts, and one of them died. Uh, you know, shame on you. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, you're uh, suppressing that same story because. Uh, uh, and I don't know what the connections were between the editors and, and USC. I do know that USC uh, has an enormously large footprint in the yeah. greater Los Angeles area, and uh, it's you know something of a sacred cow. Uh, but uh, I would still assume that the LA Times would find a story about that kind of high-level uh, corruption uh, a very, very interesting story. And the idea that the editor, two editors were responsible for uh, uh, frustrating the effort to cover that story uh, was uh, uh, was wrong, and I think it showed a lot of courage of the LA Times to come out and say, "Yeah, that was wrong. We shouldn't have done that." Yeah, and you factor in. Uh, I'm sure they have a massive alumni association. I'm sure a lot of uh, alumni uh, are business owners that pay have advertising going to uh, you know uh, the LA Times. I would mean, come on, that's just like logical, yeah. right? Yeah, um, you know, there's. You know, and we've talked about this before. It's kind of that awkward, oh, we really appreciate your advertising, but you did this and we have to report it. That's an awkwardness that you and I have talked about, but unfortunately that's required if you're going to have integrity in journal journalism. 
Another great topic, uh, really found this one very interesting. Props to the LA Times for doing the right thing. I would love to see that happen more often. Uh, you know, in future conversations, we might want to explore things that, you know, what would a beat like we've been talking about look like? Um, you know, I, I just, I think we do need more of this kind of accountability. Uh, running out of time, final thoughts on your part, uh, David? Well, I just uh, once again want to say how much, um, I enjoy the work that you and I are able to do by bringing issues of relevance to the news business and 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 uh, ways in which we try to make uh, people who consume the news a little bit more literate about what's going on in the business. I agree. It's one of my favorite things. I, I, I look forward to this every month. And any regular listener of the show knows most of our segments are 10 or, or maybe 15 minutes long. We go deep because these subjects are deep and they have a profound impact. And, and media stories, uh, both at PricingBusiness.com and most of our media stories is at our sister site, uh, TheDailyBlaze.com. This is a big part of the heart of what we're working on. And so thanks as always, David. I'm Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business. Stay tuned for more.